Welcome to the Mojo Maker for Women in Tech podcast, where you will learn career strategies and techniques to help you break down barriers, make more money, and thrive in your tech life at work and at home. Technology has never been more mission critical to our online stay-at-home world, and you are the key to its success. You'll hear from diverse women in tech as well as experts who share both personal and professional strategies so you can transform your work and your workplace from the inside out. I'm Karen Morstel, former Silicon Valley tech leader and serial CISO for iconic brands like AT&T Wireless, Microsoft, and Russell Investments. I hope you will join me in my mission and message of resilience and transformation to make an inclusive and equitable tech industry. If you find this show helpful, please leave us a like and share it. And don't forget to hurry over to createyourleadingedge.com to join innovative and affordable group coaching for women in tech on your terms. And now on to Mojo Maker for Women in Tech. Hey everyone, my very special guest with me today is Alita Jeffress, and she's the Vice President of Consulting Services for CGI. She has over 20 years as a successful CIO, executive business leader, and technologist building relationships between business and technology to enable digital transformation and market growth. Alita is such a special individual for us to listen to today as she talks about building relationships, about connecting with one another, and about her path to her role as a senior leader. I can't wait for you to hear this show. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Mojo Maker for Women in Tech podcast. Today, I have with me Alita Jeffress, and she is someone I met very early after my move to Denver, Colorado. She reached out to me. You're going to hear more about her networking skills and so many other things that she brings to the table as a leader and a woman in tech. Alita, it's great to talk with you again. Oh, it's good to talk with you, Karen. Thank you. I'm so glad you're here. And I would love it. You told me a story when we first met. It has really stuck in my head. I think I've probably used it as an example multiple times, but I want to hear you tell it again about your work that you were doing before you came to Colorado and then how you managed to pick Denver. Sure. So originally I'm from Indiana, actually lived in Indiana and went to school there uh, my entire life. And so was living in Indianapolis and was the CIO for the Department of Revenue for the state at the time. And my husband and I had always wanted to move west. And so as we were trying to figure out, you know, where did we want to move and, and what did that look like for us? You know, we started to obviously do a lot of research. But one of the things that was important to me as we were considering all that was what kind of a city or what kind of an environment would we move to where I was sure that women in tech were important? And so that was something that I, I really had to figure out for myself. And so some of the places we looked to move were, obviously, we looked at Denver, we looked at Salt Lake, we looked at Austin, right? Some real technology hubs. But as I started to reach out to people in those areas, it was really apparent that Denver had a really strong women in tech community and one where it was really open. People were very open to talking to me, open to having a conversation, even while I was still in Indiana. 
Yeah. So with all of the different places that you tried, you found, I mean, you're kind of like a, a model of networking, right? And you were doing long distance networking and and it was the vibe here in Denver that kind of convinced you to pick Denver over all those other options. You could have gone anywhere. Yeah, it was kind of the the key part of it was actually while I was in Indiana, I knew one person in technology in the Denver market. And she and I had actually worked together at a place in, in Indiana and knew she had moved here about a year before we really started looking. So I reached out to her and I'm very thankful. And she had a convert. We had a conversation and she said, you know, here are three or four more people that I think you could really benefit from talking to. And so she did those introductions. I followed up on every one of those introductions. And as I started to speak to people, asking them, you know, where were they involved? What was important to them? What did they see the landscape of technology in Denver? What did that look like to them? And then making sure I asked them, who else should I talk to? And asking that question, the who else should I talk to? Every single person gave me three or four more people to have a conversation with. So before we had even really committed to moving, I had probably 25 conversations with different executives in the Denver area. And so that really spoke to me, right? How welcoming the community would be. And then when we got moved and we got settled and, you know, a couple of months later, then I had 25 lunch dates kind of built in, you know, to the process. And so that was really a key point for me being very intentional about networking and making sure that you follow up with people. And, you know, I continue to do that today. It's just, it's a great way to meet people and a great way to just stay in touch with a lot of different activities. I adore that so much. And I hope everyone who's listening really picks up on that because that's phenomenal, really. And I hear a lot about networking and I think there's been a lot of things that have grown up in the cybersecurity community with, you know, we have a lot of like WISIS and WOSEC and, you know, the women in security SIG, and there's lots of different ways for women to network in meetings and so forth. But you did this one-on-one. And I have to tell you, that was like very inspiring to me as a newcomer to this city. So that was, (laughs) I'll never forget that. (laughs) Well, I'm glad. And it's, you know, I just think that, and people call it networking. And I think sometimes networking gets kind of a bad rap, right? Like people are like, oh, that's so hard. Or I could never just reach out to people that I don't know. But, you know, I, I always treated it as it's a conversation and ask questions and learn more about people. And I think when you do that one-on-one, you, there's just so much more value to it. Even now when everybody's doing Zoom calls and Zoom happy hours, you know, what I've done is... When I'm at, in one of those calls, I'll write down everybody's name that, that shows up on their screen and I'll go back and reach out to them either on LinkedIn or if I know them and have their email, you know, we'll exchange email messages and then have a follow up one on one conversation that way. I've done that a lot since COVID has started. That is huge. And I do this something very similar on Zoom. I take a screenshot of the screen, right, so that I don't take too much time, like jotting down names and missing the conversation. But yeah, just to, just like who is there and how can I follow up and how can I meet them? And now I'm on Clubhouse and oh my gosh, that's been like really a fun place to network. But so what are you doing now? Like you're a leader in our community in a, in a bunch of different ways. And there may be people who are listening who don't know about you. So 
Can you tell me a little bit more about you? You came from Indiana. You were working in a public in a ro- public role. You are probably the only CIO I know who also has a CISSP, which I think is so cool. So, yeah, tell me a little bit more about what you're doing and your new role and your work in the Denver technology community. Sure. So, yeah, so I moved to Colorado almost seven years ago now and was the CIO for the city of Aurora, Colorado, right outside Denver. And, you know, did kind of the typical CIO things in that role, although when you're the CIO for a city, there's a lot of different things that come into play. And so you can really think about it as kind of managing about 20 different departments because each city department kind of does its own, has its own business unit, so to speak, and has its own priorities and et cetera. So it's certainly a fascinating line of work, but I'd spent about, including those seven years, I spent about 15 or 16 years in public sector work and in technology. And that's where I got my CISSP, actually was working for the federal government um, a number of years ago. And so had to have it as part of that role. But so had worked my way through federal and, and as I mentioned, had been at the state of Indiana and then with local government with the city of Aurora. And so through all of that, you know, obviously had learned a lot and wanted to take what I knew and take solutions that I knew and be able to still provide those to public sector. I really felt um, that was something that was important to me. And so my role now I'm actually the Vice President of Consulting Services for CGI. Um, CGI is an international company. They're actually based out of Canada, but they have a number of services that focus on state and local business. And so, as well as a federal federal arm that does a lot of business too. So I come into this role in the Denver metro area really as a way to take some of their Four solutions. They've been servicing, you know, government agencies for 40 years or more. And how can I take those and help the state and local entities, not only in Colorado, but the surrounding states as well? So basically, I oversee delivery of those solutions to our, our customers. And then I'm also responsible for business development in Colorado and some of the re- uh, um, surrounding states. Fantastic. And how do you see, let me ask from your perspective, how do you see what's happening with women in tech from your perspective, not just here in Colorado, but more generally speaking, would you say, are there specific things that really stand out to you about women in senior roles? You've been in very senior roles for quite some time. You know, I have, and it's been, it's been an interesting journey. If I think back to you know, kind of when when I really came into a C-level role and I was really the only w- woman in a room of about, you know, 12 or 15, 12 or 15 men. And so, you know, it's it's just something that you learn to manage, I guess. You know, it's it's still people. You still have to communicate. You still have to make sure that you can, you know, make your point and sometimes have some very crucial or difficult conversations. And I think that as, as I've continued to take on new roles, I unfortunately would say, I don't think the landscape has really changed much in some areas. In some places, I think it has. I think there are a lot of just fabulous women and we have some really good role models in technology. But at the same time, I think that it's still, it's still just 
kind of a hard, hard road to get there, right? You really have to make sure that you're, you're willing to invest. And yes, you'll probably have to work, you know, a little bit harder. But I also think on the flip side of that, that there are a lot of men who are very willing to be advocates. You know, we've heard about male advocacy, probably if you've done any affinity work right around women in tech. And I do think that that's important as well, because I think that you really have to have kind of a very holistic perspective when you're a woman in leadership. I'm going to ask you a personal question. I didn't prime you for this one, but did did you ever find a time where you felt like it just wasn't worth it? Like there was a lot of people talk about the bro culture that is there and Emily Chang's book, which I refer to frequently about the boys club of Silicon Valley. She calls it brotopia. And I resonate with a lot of that. My, my career was mostly in the Silicon Valley community. So was there ever a time where you were like going, man, this is, I've heard people use phrases like only and lonely, which I'm not sure I'm going to use anymore for myself, but only and lonely or, you know, being the only woman in the room or, you know, butting their head up against kind of this invisible ceiling, having a, a certain set of things that usually happen in meetings where, you know, junior women may be overtalked or disregarded or somehow not really brought to the table. Do you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, was there ever a time where that just kind of got to you and you were you considered an alternate path or did you know this was where you were going to be always? I don't think I ever really know where I'm always going to be <laughs> because, uh, you know, I'm always looking for, for different opportunities. And I, I, I don't think I would say that I ever felt like, geez, I just don't want to do this anymore because one of my mindsets, I really believe in abundance, right. And in the theory of abundance. And so if a role is not the right role or the boss is not the right boss or whatever that looks like, there's always another opportunity. So just go look for another opportunity. It's, it's not a good fit. I mean, I I've been in meetings. Well, let me back up. So I had a person when I was working for the federal government, I had a person that I hired and he was kind of my number two person. And he had come from the East Coast and, you know, we were in Indiana, so he's a little stronger personality for the environment they, that we were in. But we became pretty good friends. And in the course of one meeting, I told him, I said, you know, I really think that this person doesn't really value my opinion. And I bet if you present the same idea, you'll get a lot more credibility. And so we kind of talked about that off and on. And we were actually in a meeting So we were having conversation. I put this idea out on the table. It totally got glossed over. And I looked at him and about five minutes later, he put the same idea back out on the table and it was like the best thing ever, right? So at that point was really the point where I decided I needed to leave that company because it just, if that's how it was going to be, it wasn't a fit. I didn't really have the stomach for that. And shortly thereafter, actually the person I hired left as well because he thought the exact same thing. And so, you know, there have definitely been instances where I thought maybe this isn't a good fit, but I never probably thought, oh, I just don't want to go into management or I don't want to sit in this, you know, in this room where maybe I'm the only woman that that has never really occurred to me because I've been fortunate that even when that's the case, I've had an awfully lot. I've had a lot of strong men that I've been able to benefit from their learning and their teaching and their mentorship. And so that has far outweighed the other. Yeah. 
Yeah, I always used to think about Julie Andrews in The Sound of Music. I'm probably aging myself. <laughs> but when, you know, she's she's saying like where, you know, where a door closes, somewhere God opens a window. And for me, that was how I looked at it too. It was like, okay, that didn't work. But that just means that that was just a gentle redirect, not a game ender. And sometimes it motivated me to try a little harder as opposed to discouraging. But I I do hear from so many women, and I don't know if you see this vibe too, that, that they find that that repeated behavior is demoralizing. And they're having a hard time. Some some women are legitimately having a hard time. Maybe most women kind of looking at that going, okay, I'm staying. I want to be here. I'm going to figure this out. And believing in, as you say, in abundance, that there is something else that will be the next step as opposed to beating your head against a wall. Right. And, and I think when you have different opportunities, I mean, I certainly have over the years, interviewed for positions and interviewed with with men. And I could tell right away, this is not going to be a good fit for me, even if it was the dream job or the ideal role. If the person that I'm working with the most or reporting to doesn't have that supportive mindset, then it's not a good fit. And so recognizing that and being willing to walk away from that and go look for the next thing, I think is important for women to realize too. Yeah. Yeah. And believing in ourselves enough to know that we can take what we experienced there and flip it into training, basically, so that we look at, okay, what did I take away from that? It wasn't necessarily pleasant. What did I take away from that? How am I going to use that again? Right. Yeah. And adapt it as you go, right? That's, again, taking what you've learned and applying it to the next situation so you can ask better questions or you know, kind of get to really what, where you want to be in a manner that allows you to, to figure that out. How do you handle, you're so confident. I mean, you, I've met you multiple times. We've had a chance to have coffee together and you do have that confidence, that aura of confidence, even in our, you know, casual coffee conversations. And I think that's something that a lot of women who don't feel quite so confident, maybe a little bit, they're a little shaky in their confidence or in their ability to speak up and have an opinion. I would love to know, is there is there something that contributed to that? Is that something you've come by naturally? Did you cultivate it? What is that? I would say that it did not come by naturally, but I do think there were a lot of things that I've experienced that continue to build on each other. And, you know, I think that there's a couple key things, one of which is really figuring out what's your value. If you know what your, and I don't mean business value necessarily, but your personal value, like what's the personal value that I bring to any situation, your superpower, right? I've heard people say that what's your superpower. If you can identify that, and really be very secure. And here's what I'm good at. Here's, here's how I communicate that. Cause that's the other piece, right? You have to know what it is and you have to be able to communicate that and you have to be comfortable with that. And if you can figure out your personal value and, and be able to portray that to others, that's one of the first things I think that, 
that's really important. And that takes a lot of self-reflection. And you might not know that at 24 or 25 or 40, you know, but at once you figure that out and can talk about it, I think that's really important. I think one of the other key things on my journey that really taught me a lot was about mid midway through my career, I had to do a year of sales and it was inside selling. So I was working for a, a private software company and was responsible for inside sales, which terrified me, right? I was a technologist. I was not a salesperson, not by any stretch of the imagination. And so what I really had to do is I hired a sales coach and I hired a relational sales coach. So not someone who was about selling widgets, but somebody who was about, here's how you build relationships and here's how you communicate with people. And here's how you walk away if the sale is not a good fit, right? Which as a salesperson and a new salesperson, again, that's pretty terrifying because you always want to close business. But as I learned that process and kind of went through a summer, I had about three or four months where I had hired this person to be my coach. That was probably some of the most difficult training, but some of the training that I just use even to this day, because it's really teaches you to say, here's a situation Here's a number of outcomes. Okay, customer or prospect or boss or whatever, you can pick an outcome, but here's going to be the consequence. And, you know, when you have security conversations in particular, that's how they all go because it's all about the risk. So learning how to have that conversation and be okay with how it ended up or being able to, you know, maybe manage the room if, if things get emotional. I think those are the things that really are very important when you're trying to, to be a presence in a room or a meeting or a conversation. That's fascinating. I, that's brilliant that the, you know, we should all have to do that. Like, honestly, we should all have to go through the sales training and, you know, how to overcome your fear of asking for the close, right? And whether it's an internal internal uh, conversation to convince somebody like a security thing, or whether it's, uh, you know, selling a widget, either way, it's you, you have to ask for the close. And, and a lot of us never get to the point where we're comfortable doing that. Yeah. It, and it is, it is something you have to learn. And I think the other piece too, is to really make sure that, you know, that you can understand that even if you're in a hard conversation or a conflicted conversation, 95% of the, probably 99% of the time, it's not about you. Women take, tend to take things pretty personally, but I think, and I've always coached people, it's not about you. It's more likely the other person having a bad day or something happened and you're just not aware of it. And so I think being cognizant of that and not taking things too personal is really something that's key too. So for example, the the person I told you that I had hired from the East coast and had worked for me and we had kind of become friends. Well, he actually also worked um, with me at the state of Indiana and we were in a meeting one day and you know, I was, I was the CIO and so I'm running IT and he really had some issues with IT that day. And our conversation was just between the two of us in a room of about 12 people, some of which were my subordinates, was getting a little heated. And I'm sitting there and I'm kind of looking at him and I'm like, well, this is kind of odd, right? And so 
you know, as the conversation continued, I finally just stopped. And I said, why don't you and I have a conversation in about an hour? Because I think we don't need to continue to have this conversation here. And that's exactly what we did. So everybody breathed a sigh of relief, right? Because the tension was really bad. And in about an hour and a half, you know, we went, we had lunch and we talked through what the issue was. And I think those are the kinds of things you just have to sometimes to be willing to say time out. It's not really about me. What else is going on? How are you today? And that will get you a lot further than you might think. Yeah. And that comes with a lot of that comes with experience, but that's a brilliant, I'm I'm sure everyone in the room was, (laughs) I can just feel the relief. Yeah. I can I can almost I can almost feel that in my body. <laughs> uh, Everyone's looking at the floor, right? Like, <laughs> I can I can remember a few conversations like that as well for, in my own career. So yeah, you said something else. I want to circle back to that. I want to kind of pull out because you said you hired a coach to help you, and one of the things that I think. Did you do that for yourself? Like you made that decision and you went and hired that? Or did your company tell you that you were going to do this? Or how did that work? So no, my company did not advocate for that. I was working for a really small startup at the time. And the uh, the president who I'd worked for actually at another company, but he was the very successful salesperson. And he was like, well, I'll just, I'll work with you, you know, and, I, and I'll teach you how to do sales. And I thought, mm, okay. And so after about two months, it was pretty evident that that was not going to happen. And, but I didn't want to fail, right? Like I knew this was new. I knew I didn't know how to do this. Um, I had, fortunately, I knew someone and a very successful sales coach. And so I made, I personally invested. This was not something that my company, my company paid for. And so I invested in this coach, you know, went through his training, met with him and kind of the fascinating thing to me was by the end of the year. So I started with him probably in March and worked through the summer. And by the end of that year, I was the top inside salesperson out of about, I think there were four, maybe four or five of us. And at the end of the year, I was like, well, I'm done with sales. This was my year. This was my experiment. Um, Got a new job. But I went to the COO and I said, at the time I said, you know, you know, I've been successful here. I've been this top inside salesperson. I said, but if I'm your top inside salesperson, you have other challenges. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, so it's, but again, it was definitely well worth it. And I probably gained more confidence out of that process than I realized at the time. I have a belief that, you know, when we had things like company hires for life, right? In the company town. And I started my career off at Boeing and Seattle was considered a company town, right? And when Boeing did work great, Seattle did great. When Boeing went down, Seattle went down. And that changed as other technology companies eventually moved onto the scene. But that one of the things that happened was a company that hired you and where you expected to retire from, and you had your pension there and everything else. The company decided where you worked, when you worked, how you got trained, what kind of stuff you worked on. That was kind of the deal, right? And when the company hire went away, you know, this lifetime employment kind of model disappeared. One of the things that I think we as employees 
hung on to was the idea that the company is still responsible to train me. And it's just a theory, but I, I see them, I see that kind of, um, the thinking that says, well, my company should pay for this. And I get that, I get that, you know, it's expensive. I'm sure it costs you a fair amount to hire your own personal sales coach, but you did it because you made the investment in your success. And I'm, I am fully convinced because I know this is how it was for, for me and I've seen it for others is that when we make the decision that we are worth the investment, something shifts. Mm-hmm. No, I, I just agree. I think it, it absolutely does. And, and, you know, and I think that when you're at a small company, you're probably more aware of that. And when you work at a large company, you know, they usually will have more resources, right? They might have a a learning management system and all these other things, but you still have to invest the time in doing those things. And you do have to take control of it. Even if there's, even if there's the 20 step process, right? For how you get from point A to point B, you still have to be willing to, to invest and, uh, and do that. Even when I got my CISSP, I mean, that was, that was a process for me, right? I had, I didn't have any security background, didn't have any security training. And I, not only did I have to be certified, I had to certify 40 other people within, you know, a six month time frame. And so I literally restructured my day so that I could carve out two hours a day to study. So I did the boot camp cold. And then I carved out two hours a day to study and five or six, you know, hours on a Saturday and a Sunday. And I did that for about four months. And that was the only way that I knew that I could pass the test. And as you know, a lot of people don't even pass the test the first time. So I really made sure that was my goal was to get through everything and to be able to pass that test on the first try. But you I had to restructure my whole life. My husband had to make sure he took care of our youngest during a lot of that time, right? It, it took some effort and planning. Well, I think that's the difference between a career that is an unsatisfying career that isn't what you want and a standout career, which I consider, you know, when I look at what you have done, you know, that's a standout career for a woman in the technology sector. That's for anyone in the technology sector. I shouldn't say that. It's not just for a woman. It's for anybody. You have that. You have this standout career that comes from that mindset that you have, which is invest in yourself and believe in the abundance. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. That's very kind. (laughs) Oh, well. I don't know. You, I'm a huge fan. <laughs> I, you know, you were, I think probably one of the, f- I, you might've been the second person that I sat down to meet with when I moved here in the, the tech call technology community and in Denver. And it, it really made an impact on me. So I've cherished that ever since. And I'm just so excited to get to talk to you here on the show. And I appreciate you coming because here's really why I wanted you to, have this platform. And that is that I work directly with women in the technology sector to help them stay. We're having them. I mean, there's the stampede for the, for the gates to get out of tech is alarming to me and sad because I know for myself what that meant having that kind, well-compensated job 
that I really loved that was interesting and creative and sometimes maddening, but also mostly super fascinating and took me all over the world. What that job meant for my life and my life experience and my family and my community. It not only was great for me, but it was, you know, I paid it, I was able to pay it forward in a lot of other places. And I'm seeing that dis- opportunity disappear as women women choose to opt out. And that makes me concerned and, and sad. So I'm always looking for role models who will be able to come to the platform and say, look, you might not have this all figured out right now, but it's worth staying in the game and figuring out how to do that. Yeah, it, it totally is. I mean, and people, you know, you don't always know what your next move is. And, and so a lot of careers, right. And you've experienced this too, right. You're built and just built on, on what you've learned. But I think the other important thing, especially for women to consider is there's so many flexible options. You know, when I was, um, when my, when my kids were little, you know, I, I went into my boss and I said, you know, I need a 36 hour work week or I need a 32 hour work week. And at the time, nobody did that. Right. You were lucky if you were employed and and that just wasn't how it was done then. But, you know, I made a business case and put that together. And even that four hours or that, you know, six or eight hours, that was huge when you have little kids. Right. Just some time to get things done and and to just (laughs) regain your sanity. And so I think you don't know if you don't ask the question. And there's there's a lot of things out there that you can take advantage of. And you can pave your own way. Even with the when I left the job, you know, where I was working for the federal government, right? I really negotiated my own severance package and thought, well, I'm going to take the summer off and I'm going to put this in front of my boss and let's see how this goes. And and it went better than I expected. And then I ended up working all summer anyway, because somebody found out that I wasn't working and wanted me to come and work for them. So, but I had control over that situation. So I think that it can be as big or as little, and there is a season for everything. And the season doesn't have to be the same. It, it will change and adapt. And sometimes I think, you know, people don't stick through that enough, or they don't realize that maybe there's an option but just continue to look for the options. Right. Believe in the abundance. Yep, there's <laughs> always a situation, you know, and my husband used to joke, he's like, how do you get these jobs that kind of adapt to what you're, what's going on with life? And I'm like, because I go look for them. Right. And that's my expectation. So if that's my expectation, then I'm going to work until I find my expectation. There's no reason to take less. That's a whole worldview though. I mean, really. Um, there's, I can see when you can break it down and the way people look at things, what you expect is pretty much what you're going to find, right? If you believe that nobody's going to accommodate you, if you believe that it's just going to be a real difficult road all of the time, that's what you're going to get. And I know this sounds like magical thinking to some people when we talk about it, but people who practice it, 100% will tell you this, that this is the way the world works. It's like a law of, it's almost like a law of the universe or a law of physics that when you train your brain 
to believe that these things are there, your brain goes, I'm on it. I'm going to go find that for you. I'm going to keep, I'm going to have all of my spidey senses out looking for that opportunity so you can sign up for it. Right. Right. And it, yeah, that's just, that's how our brain is wired. It's remarkable. <laughs> oh, it is. It's like when you, you know, it's like when you tell your kids, well, we're going to look for the red cars or the yellow cars. And all of a sudden that's all you see, right? Because to your point, that's what your, that's what your brain's focused on. Yeah. So that's, that's a great takeaway for everyone who's listening. One more question for you. It's actually, it's kind of a double question, but to kind of share with the audience, you know, what was one of the biggest challenges, if you had one, I'm bet, I'm betting that you did, had one of the biggest challenges that you looked at it and said, I have no freaking way. I know of no way to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Did you have anything like that? And what did you do to overcome your your doubts, if any? Well, there's probably two I can think of. And one was when I was told I had to be CISSP certified. And I was like, oh, wow. Again, I know I really knew nothing about security. Security was pretty early in its as a career option. And so you know, really just made sure I took the time to learn and focus. And like I said, I really changed my whole day for, you know, a number of months to make sure that I could accommodate that kind of learning and went out and took, you know, practice tests after practice tests. It was just a lot of repetition. And so again, investing the time and asking the questions. I think one of the other things that was really impactful for me is is when I left my job with the federal government. And like I said, I thought I would take the summer off and I would relax a little bit. And a friend of mine called me and who had been doing work at the state of Indiana and said, you know, I have this, this eight week project. And is this something that you would be interested in? And it was a risk assessment, an IT risk assessment and for Department of Revenue. And I thought, well, Okay. And um, I had a good relationship with him, right? And, and he had a small company. And so literally, I packed up my desk at 11 o'clock in the morning on a Friday from my federal job. And I went home and I put on a suit and I drove to the state building and had my first meeting at four o'clock that afternoon. And as I sat through that meeting, I had that very thought, Karen, I sat there and thought, I have no idea. <laughs> what I am doing here, right? And it was a situation where Department of Revenue at the time, they had they had misplaced about $500 million over the course of six or seven months. And so there was a lot of change. The CIO was no longer there. Their executive director was no longer there. Their CFO was no longer there. So a lot of scrutiny, a lot of, you know, what's going on. And so as I was sitting there kind of listening to the overview of what I was walking into, I really had that thought. And so my second thought was, well, how do I make sure, how do I manage this, right? Again, how can I be successful? What are my options for being successful? And um, the person who brought me into the role, as well as one of the people I was going to be working with on this particular eight-week assignment, she was fabulous. She had done independent consulting her entire career. And so I really made it a point to watch her. How did she interact? What did she do? What kind of questions did she ask? I never told her like that. I didn't really have any idea how to kick this off, but I really made sure that I helped her 
you know, and I learned a lot. I learned a lot from her. I learned a lot from, um, you know, the person who brought me into that. And so I knew that those were really strong resources that I could rely on. So again, finding that quote coach or finding that person that, you know, that you can learn from will really be key. And as I continue to work at the state, actually, I ended up being the CIO at Revenue because the the new executive director and the new CFO that came in, you know, it was kind of a pivotal decision because they asked me to stay. I was also interviewing for some other jobs. But what I realized was that these gentlemen who had come in to run the Department of Revenue, who basically were retired and the governor at the time had called them back, what a wealth of knowledge to be able to work with people who had been so successful in business and who are coming back to kind of do their public service and were making decisions and managing a huge agency to do the right thing because they had no political agenda. They had no personal agenda. It was all about doing the right thing for the state. And that was just an amazing, you know, couple of years of learning from them. And I wouldn't trade that for anything either. I love that. You know, I hear two things in there. One of them is a crisis can be a career maker. And when you believe in in the fact that instead of looking at the problems, you were looking at the solutions, that became an opportunity for you. Yep, it really was. And that was just, you know, when I was able to go there, that's where I built my first security team with the state there and have done that again since. But there was just so much learning and and again making sure that you're asking the right question and you're you're open to whatever that feedback looks like and that you choose to work for some phenomenal people do your research right and that was just worth it for me that's so great there's been so many nuggets in this i'm going to i'm going to have to go through this again and again and take notes on the conversation that i was just a part of <laughs> <laughs> this is really great. And I appreciate you so much. You know, I, I'm a true believer in the law of reciprocity by you're such a generous person with your time and your expertise and sharing. And this is going to mean a lot to people who listen to this episode. So thank you so much for being here. Before we kind of close it off, do you have any last words of advice as a you know, an executive, a seasoned executive with the security knowledge and the security background that comes with CISSP and managing people who are doing security. Do you have any advice for the community who's listening for might be, might be kind of wondering whether this road looks too hard or, or what, whatever you have, what, what's your last words of advice? Sure. Well, I think, I think two things, one of which is that, you know, security is, I call it an art, right? So we tend to think of security as very black and white and here are the rules and here's when you're not following the rules and here's all the bad things that can happen, right? There's so many different iterations that you can think about, but really security is is the art form of making sure that things can still get done as securely as possible but you have to be able to know what that balance looks like. And usually security people only figure that out if they interact with the business because they have to understand what the business is trying to accomplish and then layer in the right amount of security in order to make sure that the organization is still whole, 
but yet the business can operate and end users can do what they need to do. And so that to me is one of the most difficult parts of security. I mean, granted, there's a lot of technical work that goes on behind the scenes, but you know, if we all know this, right? In security, if you shut it all off, it's secure, but nobody can get anything done. So, you know, for people and especially maybe even women, it's not always about how technical you have to be, but it's also about how can you get the business done? And so I really want to encourage women to to look sometimes at that side of it, because that is just as important. And so don't shy away from things that you know, you think, oh, it's too technical or no, I'm not going to understand that because security is a big puzzle, right? And there's lots of different outcomes. And so if that's the part that's fascinating to you, great. But there's also, you know, being able to work with the business and able to get their work done, that's just as important. And and there needs to be a place for that. And then second of all, you know, Karen, I just really want to thank you for everything that you're doing, because I know you're very vested in making sure that women stay in technology and they're in tune with opportunities and they don't burn out, right. Or flame out, I think Mm -hmm. is what you call it. So I just really appreciate you taking the time and investing at this stage of your career and giving back and making sure that people are all aware of that. And I so appreciate the opportunity to be a part of this. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you. It's been a delight and I'm sure I can't wait for this episode to go out and everyone to get a chance to listen. So Hey, we'll talk again really soon, okay? Yes, sounds great. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for today. Thanks for joining us. We're on a mission to help you make your tech life the best it can be, and a big part of that is helping you handle adversity like a boss. You can get more right now with our free gift for you over at beanally.today to download Flameproof, your anti-burnout guidebook. If you love our podcast, don't forget to subscribe and let others know. You can also get more insights from our weekly podcast digest on topics that are relevant to you, your allies, and your entire organization. So remember, you have the ability to create the tech life you love and to make a difference for our industry. See you next week. And in the meantime, be well and be an ally. Be an ally.